1: previously on The Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. I always enjoy these things. Uh, by the way, Carlisle will join us uh, at 8 o'clock. Matt Weaver going to join us at 9 o'clock. I have a couple names that I want to throw your way for the IU football job and then a thought on the IU football job we can dive into You going to hop on the Randall just, L train with me or no? Listen, I'm fine with that. I, I, I don't want to... That's your thing. Do okay. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I don't mind to ride we, shotgun. We got but, plenty of room, trust me. <laughs> I'm, sure, we got you, I'm of room. sure you do. I wanted to dive into do doesn't need to be a power five guy we can do that uh, as we go obviously the Colts playoffs uh, looking at the rest of the season uh, I have some numbers that I want to dive into as well did you happen to see before we dive into to do uh, some pacer stuff I always love these things did you happen to see Mike Elko yesterday, the, the former Duke football coach who just got hired at Texas A&M? I, I don't know if this Did is where you you're going, him?
2: but Texas A&M makes me feel weird.
1: <laughs> that's exactly where I'm going. The swaying back and forth and the singing of the song like, in Elko's
2: face when he was up there. <laughs> it just it seems like we're all going around the fire pit and, hey, if you drink this, I'll drink that, and then we'll wake up in three days. No, you
1: drink it first. Well, you hope you wake up in three days. I think well, that's where yeah. we are
2: with Texas Texas. Texas A&M. Now, I'm a little nervous. Some of my buddies, you know, we've talked about, hey, Notre Dame at Texas A&M, season opener last year. I'm like... If we go there, we might not come back, boys. <laughs> yes, exactly. If we go to College yeah. Station, and all of a sudden, you should go. We could be handcuffed and kidnapped, and who knows what'll happen. Yeah. Well, of course, some people like what you're saying. Huh? <laughs> you know, there's some people that are Easy thinking, now.
1: "Okay, KB, that's maybe not the worst thing." But yeah, listen, I'm Mike Elko's face when he was swaying back and forth. It reminded me of remember when Petrino left the Falcons and he took the Arkansas job, and like no one knew he he did it in the middle of the night, literally. Remember Patrino's uh, beautiful red face up there when he was calling the Hogs. Sweet! remember that? The SEC has some picture weird is things, the neck man.
2: Brace with Bobby
1: P. Well, I mean that's that's the only thing you should, uh, the only thing you should be looking at. So anyway, I just saw the Mike Elko thing and figured if you haven't seen it, uh, it's pretty funny. I also want to get into speaking of football coaches, some Frank Reich uh, just numbers that were floating around the internet yesterday uh, as he was fired there in Carolina. Of course, not good for him, but also might be good for him to get away from that ownership group uh, as well. He
2: could write a book one day about working for Jim Irsay and David Tepper.
1: God bless him. He has had
2: uh, two of the more interesting owners in the last 18 months. If I may, just real quickly on right, because I feel like there is this, what got him fired here in Indy was his attachment, relationship, I I don't know if, if obsession is the right word with Carson Wentz, And I'm like, if we're going to go down that path, let's tell the full story and let's tell the real story. The reason why Carson Wentz was a member of the Colts was because in the first place, Chris Ballard didn't want Matthew Stafford. And if you go back to that offseason, those were the two fishes out there in that 2021 year of, okay, uh, two guys for, I think, different reasons were going to move on from their previous stops in, obviously, Stafford with the Lions and Wentz with the Eagles. So with Ballard not wanting to make the Stafford move, not believing in Stafford, then you go down to plan B or number two on that list, and that's where Carson Wentz comes into play. So if we're going to tell the full story, let's make sure that we – Tell the full story accurately, but I mean, if you just look at Frank Reich quickly here,
1: uh, poor, poor Frank. You know, it's been like like you know, is Pete McCulley was the last one who got fired before him in nine games, and then the guys right behind Frank Reich, Lou Holtz, thirteen games. <laughs>
2: I didn't even know Lou Holtz was an yeah, NFL thir- coach. Yeah,
1: thirteen games, of course, with the Jets. Uh, Bobby Petrino, thirteen games, and Urban Meyer, thirteen oh. games. Even Bobby and Herb got to
2: game. Number thirteen before they well, got fired, and Urban got a lot more off the field too. than, yeah. than certainly. Well, I guess you know, <laughs> well, at least in tried. a public manner. There. He at least,
1: he at least tried to. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sure that was the story you and Jake covered, uh, like the journalist that you are. That I'm sure that's what you did last year. Uh, what bothered? Let me ask you this. You said I don't. I don't think it was last week. I think it was a week before. You know, Thanksgiving and everything, the holidays. You mentioned. That you know the Pacers had earned a a, a little bit this year of the benefit of the doubt, right? I'm trying to I think it was after that It was that the magic game, right? It was right? after the magic game. And by the way, the Magic have been great this season. Second so, in the East. Yeah, right so now. you know, we may look back, in fact, we don't even need to wait a few months to look back at that Magic win. Like the or the Magic loss is not one that I even put on my list because Orlando has been such a good team early on this season. But KB, you mentioned that and I, I think, at least the way I view it, is a game like last night—they they have lost that feel good around them quite a bit. They've lost the benefit of the doubt quite a bit. And it's not because they lost. It's because we're talking about effort. It's because I don't think the defense has got better. I think it showed. It has shown. And, you know, when you're talking after the game about effort, when there are the turnovers, the sloppy play. You mentioned the entire first segment, the sloppy play. I don't know. To me, that's different than just going out and playing a game and losing one of eighty-two, and you come up short. Maybe have a game-winning shot, whatever it was, and you lose the game, and you move on. And not all losses are created equal. And we saw that last night. And I, you know, and I think I'm a huge proponent of this. In college, we obsess over the coaching. Uh, we give the coach all the credit. We fire the coach, and I listen. I know we just talked about Frank Reich, but to me, a game like last night. I know Carlisle is saying the right things, and I'm sure at 8 o'clock he will. Well, you know, we got to get the guys ready and everything else. I I look at a game like last night, and I put it squarely on the players. That's a player game, uh, like to me, that. Your players need to be better in that game. Like, simply, they need to be more locked in. They need to have more energy. They need to not turn the ball over. They need to be dialed in that if you're not making shots, you got to get a couple of defensive stops. Grant's going nuts. You got to help out on defense and make it easier uh, for the main defender. And, you know, to me, I know Carlisle will say, well, you know, it's everybody. And I'm sure coaching, there's something they did or did not do. But I think they've lost a lot of the benefit of the doubt with some of these losses. I think it's going to hurt him here in a few months. And I think one of these last night really bothered me because I put this one on the players. I do. I mean, these are pro guys. you got to win that game last night.
2: Yeah, and now they haven't won two in a row in three weeks. So when you look at kind of separation that – was on paper here in the month of November. You had you know all these home games. Again, I I, I you haven't had the big injury situation yet. You haven't had the West Coast road trip yet. There was great opportunity. Rick Carlisle I think's been very upfront about the opportunity here early in the season and the in the need to take advantage of it. And I don't think nine and seven is taking advantage of it. I don't think six and five at home is taking advantage of it. And, and to your point, Andy, go back to Friday night. The, the, the final score is not indicative of the separation between the Pacers and the Pistons in that game. That was what? Was that a tie game with like mm-hmm. five minutes to go in the game? Yeah. yeah Indiana yeah. went on a huge run to pull away from Detroit late and that's arguably the worst team in the NBA. So you would like to think that the urgency would still be there last night. Yeah, it's not an in-season game. Yeah, it's not nationally televised. It's not some marquee opponent, but Portland looked like the hungrier team and that I think is what is bothersome because this Pacers team, I don't think anyone has said, even in their nice wins this season and their great offensive output, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they are not some uber-talented NBA team. We do not look at them and think, there's two or three All-Stars, that's a mega team, however you want to describe it. The non-starter every night has got to be your effort. And the non-starter every night to me is the basketball IQ and making the smart decisions. And you look at 20 turnovers, and you look at Seven guys having multiple turnovers, all eleven that got in the game and got serious minutes, turned the ball over. But it's not like you're throwing nine centers on the floor over the course of a game. These are a lot of a lot of guards and wings. I mean, you played three point guards last mm-hmm. night. So that to me I think is what is extra frustrating about last night. Not to mention the, the twist of the knife of it being Malcolm Brogdon. He ices the game. On the clear out, too. You know, against your best defender. You know, it, That, to me, I think adds to it. And you look at the schedule now. It's at Miami Thursday. It's at Miami Saturday. And the next week is that blank part of the schedule. That is the in-season tournament. You're going to be facing three teams in that in-season tournament that have all had strong stretches to the season at some point. So you're going to have three really quality opponents. And then after that, Andy, you get into a road trip. If you look at December right now, if you look at the schedule, the only scheduled home game coming up in the next three weeks is that first in-season tournament game. They are on the road for a big chunk of the month of December here, especially early on. So just a lot of missed opportunity. Um, I'm going to ask Rick about Matherin because to me, this is just, this has not gone well through the first month of the season. Um, I, I guess there's to be expected a bit of growing pains when you're asking him to do some things. Yeah, but it's went backwards in the last couple weeks that he didn't do last season or maybe didn't do enough of last season. Um, but to me, you are in this kind of awkward balance where you want to win and you should win, but you also need to make sure you grow some of your youth along the way. And I get that's difficult to do. But last night's a good example of it, Andy. Amidst the turnovers, amidst the inability to stop Jeremy Grant, who's your sidekick to Matt, to, to Halliburton? Mm-hmm. That I think is a big question. Like I don't know who that is. And in today's NBA. You gotta have that other guy, Halliburton. You look at the stat sheet. I mean, he was fine. He was better than fine last night, but no one else stepped up. And the inconsistency in that number two role, night in a night out, uh, I think is an issue.
1: And you know what it does with Matherin being so up and down, and lately being a little bit more down than up, and obviously coming off the bench. And you saw uh, in exchange, you saw demonstrative Rick Carlisle. Yeah, Rick after, was pissed at him. Yeah, last he, night. he was really upset. Is There's no way in hell you're trading Buddy Heald. (laughs) Remember that conversation before the season about Buddy Heald? Well, he's going to be coming off the bench. Well, he started now four straight games, and he, listen, he wasn't, good in last night either I mean he didn't shoot the ball well one of six from three three of ten overall he missed four or five just wide open shots again Portland uh, you know the Portland played well I mean there were some missed shots that probably could have saved the Pacers but I mean I look at buddy healed and that was a conversation that we had about well you know if you're not gonna sign him do you move on from him I don't think that's even a conversation anymore I mean I don't think you can afford to move on I couldn't imagine if you took his 25 minutes off off the floor. Hell, I think he's going to be starting games for them this season. A lot of games.
2: And I will say this, you can kind of put Bruce Brown, Andy, into a little bit of a I guess a little bit of a Shaquille Leonard situation and by that I mean this. I I know that probably when I say that out loud you're like, where the hell are you going with this this analogy? With Shaq and the Colts this year there was a constant evaluation because at the end of the year you had a contractual decision to make on Shaq. Obviously they made that. With Bruce Brown, you have that. Now, again, that's probably where the analogy stops. Obviously, the injury situation and and the past history with their respective teams doesn't add up at all. But at the end of the year, remember, it's a team option on Bruce Brown. It's a $20 million team option for next season. The Bruce Brown I've seen through the first month of the year, I don't know if I'm picking up that team option. And I get that he probably does some things that are a little bit You know, box score doesn't tell the full story, etc., etc. But $20 is a notable number, and that is a part of this season to where, again, the Pacers are in control. It's their team option on his second year here in Indiana. But if you're trying to find that sidekick to Halliburton and you're looking at things moving forward, and Matherin has had such an up-and-down nature, probably more down than up, if you're going to be honest, to the start of this season – um, that Bruce Brown you know, situation leading into next year is something to continue to monitor. It's one month, but we will continue to watch that throughout the course of this season. We
1: talked about effort post-game. Here's Rick Carlisle talking
3: about that very thing. team is the same. It's just, you know, compete level not where it needs to be. Um, I don't buy bellyaching about missed shots. I mean, you're going to have nice where you miss shots. But Indiana fans can tell when a team is, you know, playing as hard as they can possibly play and we didn't do that tonight. Um, we didn't do it for you know, stretches of a lot of those games. And so, you know, we're, we're paying a price. It's um, and it's uh, it's unfortunate.
1: Yeah, and see, I think that's what's going to bother people uh, a lot is just the effort, the energy, and having those things in winnable games. And again, you look at it, the Bulls are 5-13, and the Hornets are 5-10, and the Raptors are 8-9, and Portland is, what, 5-12 and this season, and you've lost to each and every one of those teams. You can't do it. And at uh, home. you got to give a couple. you got to get a couple. They, they need to have 11 wins right now. That's what they need to be. They need to be at 11 wins. They need to beat the Hornets or the Bulls or last night. They need to have 11 wins right now. And you'd feel a hell of a lot better about where they are. You just would.
2: Rick Carlisle in fifteen. I Chris had a Pacers comment that he wanted to get to. What's up, Chris?
3: Hey, just a uh, quick comment. The best two defenders on the Pacers, arguably, are, are Bruce Brown and and Nemhard. But they're both six four. Right. And every game we get worked by a six six, six seven, six eight wing. Derek McKee. We need a modern day Derek McKee.
2: Yeah, I I think it's a great point, Chris. Uh, I mean, hell, you even saw it on the final possession last night. I mean, Brogdon's ability to get in the lane and just have the same amount of height, probably he's a little taller, honestly, than Bruce Brown. And it's not like we talk about Brogdon as some 6'8 freak athlete. Obviously, Jeremy Grant had a huge night. Uh against you and you know, whether it's Jimmy Butler coming up on Thursday and Saturday or obviously the Tatums and the Browns. and I know Giannis is in a little bit of a different category when you talk about his size. I think that remains a question of, yes, Bruce Brown can be viewed as a strong defender, but still, Andy, you are giving up a lot from a height standpoint. I thought that was really well said by Chris. Uh, when you look at him and you look at uh, Nemhart as well, they still have a disadvantage on that end of the floor from a height standpoint. And I I think that's part of your defensive issues. Do you think part of the issues as well
1: is, you know, Brown came from a world champion team, right? Uh, And so there were other good slash elite slash above average defenders on that team. It's like if you're a cornerback in the NFL, your job's a lot easier if the pass rush is getting home, right? If the pass rush, I mean, mean, isn't that part of the Colts? We're not talking about the defensive backs because the pass rush got home for the most part. I know Mike Evans had success on Sunday, but the pass rush gets home and now suddenly I don't have to rely on the corners and say quite as much don't you feel that way potentially with Brown that he's on the floor with you know his last stop he was on the floor with better defenders than he is now and to think that he's going to be the defender that's going to make everything okay when he's on the floor with guys who are not, uh, you know, as a team, not a good defensive team. Absolutely, the bottom of the NBA as a defensive team. Does that affect the way we view his yeah, and, defense and overall? Say, I don't know. I'm just asking. no, no, no. I,
2: I think it's fair. I'd say both ends of the floor too. Because again, when you're getting when you're paying a guy twenty million, you, you expect a little bit more offensively. Too. and whether it's Jokic whether it's Murray whether it's you know Gordon whoever for Denver he obviously was not that high on the scouting report he is much higher here just based off personnel i was tony east had this figure over the weekend and it to me when i heard it i was just in a way i was like that makes sense but in another way i'm like holy hell that is awful the stat was the pacers had been giving up Six more shots at the rim than any other team in the NBA. Okay. On a per game basis. Okay. Think about that. Yeah.
0: I mean of these thirty
2: teams in the NBA, you give an opponent six more layups than you do anybody else in the league? Like that is such a horrifying stat. And uh, to me, it's indicative of your lack of wing defense and, and and you know scramble mode and guard your yard and all the new defensive, you know. Say, is this a defensive system that's going to take multiple months to you know feel the repercussions of it? Because again, you don't need to be elite defensively. You don't even need to be good if you just got to bad. You you're, can't be last. You're terrible. Right. You can't be last if you can just get to bad. You can make do, but when you got games that are played 114 to 110 last night, that's not what you want. You want games in the 130s with where you're at with the Pacers right now and how... They are built. Rick Carlisle in ten minutes. Uh, I wanted to ask you this. Speaking
1: of guarding your yard, Pacers defense. uh, Listening to the Colts roundtable yesterday, KB, uh, just you know, you know, raving. The guys raving about what Chris Ballard has done. Defensive lines. Some of these picks are starting to work out. So I want your thoughts on that. But you know, we teased this team making the postseason. If I ask you right now. Scale of one to ten, just around the room. What is your what, what is your number on where you think the Colts can get to? And what And what I mean, I guess your what's your confidence meter on the Colts making the postseason right now? Just 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 give
2: me a number. Yeah, because I, I mean, you could sell out and say five or six, right? Because sure. that's probably where I am. Yeah, I saw the analytics I, I think one of them had him like forty three percent chance of making the postseason. I probably would put it a little higher than that. And a lot of it, I think, again, has to do with the schedule. And I think some of the saving grace defensively, particularly the run defense right now, Andy, is this. I just feel like Grover Stewart's going to cure a lot of it when he gets back. And it is one more game missed. But I do think that's going to be a huge benefit to you. Again, nothing I saw Sunday makes me think of Gardner Minshew in this passing offense will be able to do heavy lifting. But I think if you want to go to encouraging signs, Non-NFL related, because that Buffalo loss on Sunday night, that was huge for the Colts. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go non-standings related, two things. The fact that you could get back to running it effectively, despite the passing offense being what it was. Zach Moss over six a carry. Taylor over six a carry. And it's not like those two had a 55-yard run in there that can kind of skew some things. So I think that's encouraging. And then on the flip side of it, it's just... You were one game closer to Grover Stewart getting back because that, and you would hope he Juju had him Brents Henry. had his return. Yes, yeah. you, you you definitely wish that you had him this Sunday, but I'd go there. Um, but and we can get more into this as the week moves along, Andy. If you look at the standings of where the Colts are at, who they play the rest of the season. And this is a little NFL tiebreaker nerdy, but it's going to matter if the Colts are in the hunt down the stretch. Right now, the Colts are 4-3 and three against the AFC. The conference tiebreaker is the first tiebreaker used if you don't play that team this season. For example, right now, the Colts are 6-5 and five with the Broncos. The reason why the Colts are above the Broncos is because they have the better AFC record. And if you look at all the teams behind Indianapolis right now, whether that's Houston, whether that's Denver, whether it's Buffalo, whether it's the Bengals, they've got a better AFC record. So that's why this game on Sunday, this means a little bit more. You know, Cincinnati in two weeks, Pittsburgh in three weeks, those games will mean even more because they're closer to you in the standings. But I think based off that tiebreaker, too that'll be something to continue to monitor throughout the final month and a half of the season. A website
1: that Mark Dykton and I go to quite a bit, or we used to, was Tankathon. I don't know if you've been there, but they rank basically using the combined winning percentages the rest of the way to rank the schedules. And, like, right now, the Bills have the 10th most difficult schedule left in the NFL, and that's why, of course, at Kansas City, home Cowboys, at Chargers, and I do the Patriots, but they end uh, in March Miami and that game's going to mean something for both teams most likely Buffalo getting in and also Miami seeding and everything else to me if I almost wanted to write Buffalo off because of where they are as a team and because of the schedule I kind of did that then I looked at the other teams around them you know the Broncos and one reason why people like them to be a playoff team is okay yes because of how they're playing but also they have the 27th Uh, ranked schedule that means one of the easiest remaining schedules in the NFL the Texans are 22 and the Browns are 23 so you may say well Andy what, what does all of this mean here's what I think it means I think if the Colts get to 10 they're in that's what I think Agreed. If they can go 4-2 and the rest of the way, they will be a playoff team. I believe that. Why do I believe that? Well, they have the tiebreaker over the Texans and Broncos, like you just mentioned. They play the Texans again. It's in Indianapolis. It's right down the road here at Lucas Oil. So they get to control their own destiny on that. Uh, I've written off the bills. That's just me for this exercise. And then you look at the Browns. Miles Garrett, I guess, may play this week. He's banged up. Uh, that quarterback position is so bad. You gotta think eventually it's gonna give in, right? I mean, that's how I view it. If you look at the, but they've Browns, got the
2: game lead and the head-to-head tiebreaker. Yeah, I on mean, you. The, the,
1: the Browns are one. You you need to root against the Cleveland Browns. If to me, if there is a team, and all of these, you know, the Texans and Bills and Broncos, all of those teams you're rooting against. Do not get me wrong, but to me, because the Browns won the game in Lucas Oil and because they have that defense that can literally win them games 13-10. to 10. To me that's the team and you look at the Colts. If they can go 4-2 and two the rest of the way and per ESPN right now they would be favored in 1-2-3-4 potentially 5 games the rest of the way. The Bengals and Texans are the games that they would be slightly favored in but it would be very close. Like Bengals right now they have a 50.5% chance of winning. Texans a 51.5% Chance of winning, so I you can't ask for anything else. Six games, go four and two, make the playoffs. I, I think it's that
2: clear. I really do. Home to the Steelers in two weeks. Home to the Texans, the final game of the year. If you win both those, you got to fall on your face not to get in the playoffs. So I um, they, they will have opportunity, which has in, happened before inside of your building to beat teams right there with you in the standings. And if you take care of business, in particularly of those two games, I think you will make the postseason. We'll get more into what that looks like. Also, I think a lot of conversation when is that Steelers game going to be? Um, I'll, I'll share some thoughts on that coming up in a bit. That's one that could be a Saturday game, could be a Sunday game, and that might fall on the same day as Purdue-Arizona uh, which is a one versus two matchup currently in college basketball over at Gambridge Fieldhouse. Speaking of Gambridge Fieldhouse, Rick Carlisle, he joins us next.
1: Yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. 8 o'clock hour broadcasting live from the drivehubler.com studios. Reminder, Query and Company coming your way today at noon. JMV at 3 o'clock. We'll have you set up, uh, obviously, all the Colts stuff this weekend. Pacers as well. Home for the Pacers and Colts right here. 93.5, five. the fan. And as he does every Tuesday in the 8 o'clock hour, Rick Carlisle, Pacers head coach, joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, good
3: morning, sir. How are you? i'm okay sorry my voice is a little bit uh crackly today
1: that's understandable it's understandable but let's let's jump right into it uh i'm sure there's a laundry list but what are the top you know one or two things that bothered you that still bother you this morning about last night's loss
3: mostly it was our disposition headed into this game um And uh, we just didn't have the kind of compete level that we needed at the beginning of the game. Um, You know, we're playing a team that's coming off of a a game the day before and all that. And so um, it's a difficult lesson learned.
2: Rick Carlisle is with us here. The Pacers off to Miami coming up uh, in a couple of days. He'll play two down there this weekend before back at home for that in-season quarterfinal. Rick, with us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Obviously, coach, we've talked a lot about implementing the new defensive system and, and those things. Um, how long do you think is needed before you know you guys see the the positive impact on that end of the floor from what you're trying to do differently defensively this season?
3: Well, we're seeing some positive things um, in terms of statistics. We're giving up—I think we're giving up the fewest three-point shots in the league—and um, we've demonstrated that in um, in certain games we've we've been very good. I mean, uh, the second game at Philly, for example, the uh, the game against Detroit uh, a few days ago. Um, but it requires a, a, a you know a high level of Physical force, um, commitment, you know, all those things. And so it's hard. It's a hard system. Um, But it's the same system that, you know, the best defensive teams in the league are using. Orlando's doing the same exact thing. Um, And we've just got (laughs) to, we've got to, we've got to commit to it. And, you know, it's going to be it's going to be difficult <clears throat> to do it unless we get a consistent commitment of Effort and force and willingness to press up into the ball and do the hard things.
1: You mentioned disposition. You were unhappy going into this game last night. Uh, I covered Charlie Strong when he was at Louisville. and He called it fake juice. He took his team off the field. I know that's very much a collegiate thing, but could you notice before the game maybe some hints that your team wasn't quite as locked in as they've been for other teams, for maybe some of the better teams on your schedule?
3: Hard to say. Oh, you never know. Um, you know, show me a great shoot around, and I'll show you a lousy game that night. You know, show me. <laughs> and it's just, you know, in in the world of professional sports, this stuff can be all over the place. Um, you know, one thing that we did going into this game, um, you know, with with two days in between the Detroit and the um, and the Portland game. Uh, you know, Detroit was a was a late game. It was sa- it was an eight o'clock game. So Saturday we had uh, what we call a pro day, which is like everybody has to come in, um, get treatment, do a lift, get some shooting. But it was not a, a practice per se. And then, you know, we we attempted to have um, you know a, a, a very active, enthusiastic practice. Um, on Sunday preparing for Monday. And the idea was that we would do that. Um, We would not come to the arena early and do a a pregame walkthrough at four o'clock with the idea that Milwaukee coming off the back to back um, to be a little more rested, et cetera. But, you know, to do that, your mindset has to be right. And so uh, that was, that was clearly a mistake on my part. Um, I will not make that mistake again. You know, we will have we will have walkthroughs to make sure that we get the attention of our guys. Um, Portland does not have a good record, but they have some very good players, um, and they're a team on the rise. Clearly, you know, their they're role players are hard playing defensive guys. Um, they made the game very hard for us, and so you know it's a it's a difficult lesson learned.
2: He's Rick Carlisle, Pacers 9-7 and on the season. Again, they lose last night, 114-110 to Portland. Rick with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Um, Coach, how would you uh, assess what you're asking of Benedict Matherin here in year two, uh, I guess through the first month of, of the season?
3: Well, I think first of all, I, I know where this question is coming from. You know, he... He played a bunch of unconditional minutes last year. He scored, scored a whole boatload of points, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is a different year. Um, this is a completely different set of circumstances. Um, year two in, in m- many, if not most, situations for a first-year player going to his second year is going to be different. <clears throat> what, what we're asking from him is a consistent compete level. Um, and to really work to develop into uh, a high-level two-way player. Now in the Detroit game, um, he showed that uh, he earned 31 minutes in that game and was in the game and finished it um, last night. I thought he did a lot of good things. Um, he had a few lapses, as everyone did, but he's he's making strides. And um, our team is different this year. You know we've we've acquired a couple of. Of new guys that you know have added two two guys to the rotation. Um, we started him early in the season and, and then made the decision to um, have him come off the bench. Nothing is nothing is necessarily permanent, but I, I'm just you know I'm really looking for for a, a, a consistent compete level from everybody, and um, there's still a lot to be determined.
2: Again, Rick Carlisle with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I guess getting back to that starting lineup, I know Aaron Neesmith has been out for a couple of games. You still view that as kind of a fluid situation with you know Buddy Heald being inserted. And then again, I know Aaron's been out for a couple of games, so he'll be topping a state in the starting lineup.
3: Yes.
1: And I guess on the buddy healed side, four straight starts for him, Coach. Uh, you know, I guess how has uh, you know why did you make that move? And I, I, you said it's not permanent. Is that a move that you're going to continue? I know he didn't shoot well, but he's a guy that's been so vital for you in the past. He started four straight games.
3: Yeah, we made a move in um, in Atlanta. I guess we haven't talked since the Atlanta game, or I guess we talked that morning, but. Uh... Yeah, the move to to start Buddy and Aaron had a lot to do with uh, Atlanta's style of defense, the kind of shots that they give up, and to to get two higher level three point shooters into the lineup. Um, you know, it worked out. Um, <laughs> you know, both those guys played pretty well. Buddy obviously had a had a huge game with with thirty one points, but it was just you know it, it just turned into a massive. Uh, shootout, and we were very fortunate uh, to win in the end. We finally got a couple of couple of stops in a row, um, but it was a game that was headed for 160 points, you know, for by both teams. So, uh, coming out of that, you know, we, we come home to to play Toronto, and uh, you know, second night of a back to back off of an emotional win. Um, we we certainly had a letdown on some level you know emotionally um, and uh, we let that one get away and so look we're we're sitting here um, you know really with uh, staring down the barrel of, of four games dropped at home that uh, we're, we're probably really gonna regret later but uh, right now we we've just got to keep Working at the things that are the important things and getting ready for the next game.
1: Rick Carlisle with us. I was going to ask you, like, are you a believer? Because Halliburton after the game was like, you know, listen, we have like four games here that we're not happy that we lost, but there's going to be chances throughout the season to get those four games back and maybe beat some good teams, uh, teams with better record than you, and maybe it 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 evens out. Do you see it that way, or when there is a, a lost opportunity, does that lost opportunity eat at you all season long?
3: Well, I mean, these are the kinds of things that, you know, in in April when everybody is jockeying for uh, playoff positioning and, you know, the playing uh, the playing uh, tournament positioning and stuff like that you look back on it and say geez oh man that that damn Portland game or that damn mm-hmm. Charlotte game or whatever it is and and so look you know we're, we're in the business of, of trying to avoid regret <laughs> you know that's that's a that's a pretty simple way of, of putting it um, but it's the NBA it's very competitive and you know we're gonna you're gonna have nights like la- la- last night. Um, and you've got to make the corrections uh, as best you can. We've got to find guys that that compete consistently at a high level, Um, and we we can't just make this about you know shot making and 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 outscoring the other team. Um, You know, we've we've shown we have the ability to be gritty and, and 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 to play very competitively at the defensive end and. We've just gotta stay steadfast to to move in the in the direction of being able to do that on a more consistent basis.
2: Can the Pacers gonna have two coming up this week in Miami before they return home for that in season tournament quarterfinal game next week? Coach you just said right there, compete consistently at a high level. how surprising um, is it to you that, that maybe that's not a non starter for some of your guys?
3: Yeah, I'm you know, I'm um, I'm up early this morning watching you know the, uh, the second half of the game last night, and um, look—I mean, this is on all of us. I mean, it's not just the guys that are the players; it's on the coaches. It's on—it's <laughs> on everybody. We're in—we're in, we're in this together, and we've got to—we've got to do a better job of, of helping our guys realize that you know a high a high compete level, a high. Um, high level of, of disposition, posture and that's not just defensively, it's offensively too. you know the, you have to play with force the ball has to move unconditionally you know we, we, we were sticky with the ball last night we didn't we didn't move it the way that we're capable. Um, and Portland is a, is a sneaky good defensive team. Um, you know they they forced the fourth most turnovers in the league and you know last night we, we turned it over 20 times for 20 points and that was that was a killer. But uh, yeah, we got we got to learn from this. We got to get better. Um, We got to try to, you know, get get build build some anger about it and 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 do better in the next game.
2: Uh, Any uh, update on Jalen Smith? That looked pretty ugly.
3: Not yet. Um, You know, after the game, he was he was walking uh, around the locker room. He was was limping a little bit, but. you know, he'll be checked out um, on a more detailed basis this morning and, and we'll we'll find out more. We'll probably know more later in the day. But um, hopefully it's a situation that looked way worse than it was. But until, you know, until he has the, the diagnostic testing and sees the doctors, you know, we won't know for sure.
1: Rick Carlisle with us Uh, coach now Thursday and Saturday in Miami. You did this a couple weeks ago with Philadelphia split there. Uh, And now Miami, you know, 10 wins, you guys have nine. So it's going to be a team you'll be competing with. You know, they have that championship medal. Well, coached team, couple superstars, no doubt, very solid team. Uh, What kind of issues does Miami present here this weekend?
3: Well, the ones you just mentioned for sure. Um, and, you know, it's very conceivable that we could play Miami three games in a row here. Uh, we don't know who's going to be our our quarterfinal game uh, on either Monday or Tuesday. Um, I think all that will be determined sometime later on this evening. So, you know, Milwaukee is playing in Miami tonight. If, if Milwaukee wins that game, they'll be the one seed and will be the two seed, I believe, in the East if Miami beats Milwaukee. will be the number one seed in the East in the in the tournament, and we'll play whoever that lines up with. Um, but there's so many there's so many possibilities. There's just you know there's like five or six different teams that we could possibly play, and, um, and look, because because these are all teams that are going <clears> to <throat> potentially be advancing in the tournament. They're going to be it's going to be a good team. Uh, whenever we play, whether it's Monday or Tuesday, so um, we've got to bounce back. We've got a <laughs> we've got to galvanize and, and and do a lot of things better. Um, and it's it's a team that I still love, and I still love coming to work every day and working with. And uh, they're really good guys, and they want to win. Um, but we've just got to you know gain a a, a a little higher level of, of maturity and understanding coming off this loss and and prepare for Miami who's going to be very, very tough.
1: You may have just answered it there and Rick Carlisle with us here on the fan on the Payless Liquors Hotline but you know, while you were talking I, I was looking for the stat and here it is. You know, you guys have lost each game following the in-season tournament. We know you've talked about the in-season tournament. Halliburton and other players have talked about it as well. Is that just coincidence that you guys have lost after winning an in-season tournament game? Is- is that just happened is there anything to that that you can put your finger on
3: uh, it's hard to say I yeah. you know you, you could you can certainly make some kind of case for letdowns and all that kind of stuff but um, it's just <laughs> yeah you know, it's happened it's a reality I think we need to look at it for what it is if if, if if it's a clear possibility that we're just having letdowns after you know we we win big games and Start feeling like maybe we're just better than we are. Then, then we've got to we've got to all um, do a do a self check on that and fix it. And so, um, you know, being 16 games into an 82 game season, um, you know, we're still a couple of games above 500. It's 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 not the end of the world, but um, God damn it, you know, these games are important, and um, we've got to get better
2: coach last one and appreciate the time here um how will you spend team wise uh the next i guess 36 hours before you head to miami in terms of you know what what will you emphasize with your guys practice film wise how will uh today and tomorrow look before you guys board a plane
3: well we're off today because we've gone four straight days and if we don't take today off um we'll end up probably going eight straight days, which is just a a very big mistake in the NBA. So this is one of those days where, you know, as much as you want to come in and watch the whole game film, the best thing is for everybody to get away for a day, clear their heads. Um, Tomorrow we'll come in. I got to figure out how much of this to watch last night. Um, We've got to make the important adjustments. We got to look at lineup and everything else, uh, see what's what. And then um, and then get ready to move forward very quickly you know the NBA is is, is a very very dynamic league because uh, of the frequency of games you know in the NFL you play you know once a week or you know you may play a Thursday and that may be a, a short prep but you're, you, you've got a minimum of four days to prep for each game Um you know the the NBA is is a little bit different. Um, well, I should say it's a it's a lot different that way. It's it's really the number one preparation <laughs> um, sort of environment in all the pro sports, in my opinion. And so, uh, me and the staff have got to have got to figure out the right doses of realities from last night um, to deliver to these guys. We've got to stay positive. Um, we got to keep believing, um, and we got to understand that. You know, in many cases, wins and losses. You know, in the NBA, um, are, are are a game of inches, and we've we've got we've got to make the small corrections that are necessary and the big ones.
2: It's a nine and seven start to the season. A lot of games away from home in the next few weeks for Rick Carlisle and the Pacers, coach. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving and uh, appreciate yeah. the time as always. Thanks, coach. Okay, thanks, guys. Take care.
1: Yeah, nine o'clock hour. One more hour to go. Appreciate you hanging out with us broadcasting live. The wake-up call on the drivehubler.com studios. Reminder, Rick Carlisle joined us an hour ago. Uh, Tons on the Pacers. The Pacers lost last night uh, to Portland. If you missed any of that, find it 1075thefan.com. Let's keep the IU football coaching search conversation going. Matthew Weaver joins us from Pigs, and he joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Matt, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you guys? Uh, We're fantastic. Uh, Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday. A couple segments ago, we were just, you know, throwing around some names, the hot board names and everything else. And I know uh, you have some favorites, some guys you want to see get a look. I guess let's start there. What's the most realistic name or two that you think could become the next head coach there at Indiana football?
4: Well, there's a number of names I've heard. I mean, the names I keep hearing the most are Jason Candle from Toledo, um, <clears throat> Paul Chris, the former Wisconsin head coach. Um, those are the two you kind of hear the most. I've heard Sean Lewis um, from you know Colorado OC, who was at Kent State. Um, you know, I think Indiana is going to prioritize head coaching experience, but I do think they will look at a couple guys who have ties to the school or the program. Um, Justin Fry being one and. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Mike Hart, the running back coach at at Michigan, who was at Indiana prior to that, gets a look. Um, I I think they will end up going with a head coach, our guy who's been a head coach, but it does show that they're at least looking at guys who have a connection to the program who don't have that experience.
2: Matt, always good to hear from you and appreciate the time. Again, MattWeaver, com, with us here on the Payless Liquors hotline. You, you mentioned that head coach experience. If you're going to make a prerequisite list, where would kind of offensive background rank on that list?
4: I, I mean, I, I think it would be high, especially, you know, typically you know in coaching searches when you get rid of a guy, you kind of go the other direction when you make another hire. So maybe if you've got a defensive guy, you go offense and vice versa. Um, You know, I don't think they will eliminate guys who have a defensive background, but I think, you know, what they've done as a head coach, um, if they've been a head coach and they have a defensive background, what their offense has done will be important. Because obviously, I'm not saying the Indiana defense has played well the last few years because it hasn't. But the offense has really been the big bugaboo for this program um, for the last couple years. You know, really – kind of since they lost Kalen DeBoer, um, it's really taken a nosedive. So I think that will be something that will be important to them. And I've heard creativity on offense is something that – uh, could be a, it will be to be a significant factor in, in who they look at.
2: You know, something I tossed to Andy a little bit earlier, and I know this might sound dumb when you talk about mm-hmm. a basketball school. Like you know, uh, who cares who Duke hires after Mike Elko? Everyone cares who Duke hires after Coach K. So like uh, again, this might sound a bit dumb, but in my opinion, in today's landscape of college athletics, I, I would argue. You know, Matt, this is the most important hire that Indiana University has had from an athletic standpoint, maybe ever. And, and, you know, again, maybe that's a ludicrous statement. But uh, can you speak to, I guess, just athletic program-wise with how the Big Ten is, how college football is, the ever-changing landscape of it? Seemingly, who knows what a super conference could look like here in a few years. What do you kind of make of a statement like that, and and how important a hire like this is at a school that obviously is labeled a basketball school?
4: I don't think it's that outlandish at all. I said that this is this is this will be the most important, and obviously Scott Dolson hasn't been in Indiana long, but this will be by far his most important hire. Um, you you just mentioned all the thing, the reasons why you you could have super conferences. This media money's coming in. Indiana needs to start being competitive and start winning more games, if, it, really over the next three to six years especially. I mean, yes, long-term, but if you don't start getting better in the next three to six years, you might be left out uh, without a chair when the music stops if they go to super conferences. I mean, I, I think that's a real possibility just because of the way things are going. If you go to like a top 40 teams, you have a couple super conferences, you know, there's going to be some fighting there for those last few spots in that super conference. So, uh, our conferences so I think this is a very important hire um, you know I know people think it's crazy Indiana could be left out of the Big Ten I I just think the way things are going if you're looking at the top 40 programs in college football right now they're not one of them and you've got to do something um, and I don't know if 40 is going to be the number but you've got to do something to start being more competitive to be more relevant nationally like you were in 19 and 20 and you've got to listen i'm not sitting here saying indiana's gonna win 9 10 11 games that's not really i don't think that's unless they just throw an obscene amount of money at the program but you should be able to get to point where six to eight wins is something that you can do on a somewhat regular basis. Yeah,
2: again, just be Maryland or be Rutgers in that in that division. Yeah,
1: both those teams, uh, what, seven and six wins respectively. Matt mm-hmm. Weaver, Peaks.com, joining us here on The Fan on a Tuesday. Paul Chris, you just mentioned his name. You, you've heard it. It's a name that is out there. We know uh, he's at Texas right now next to Sark. We also know what he did and did not do, of course, at Wisconsin. I don't know. How realistic is Paul Chris? What kind of a hire would he be, do you think?
4: I mean, listen, Paul Chris won a lot of games in Wisconsin and did did a pretty good job for a number of years, but it's kind of a meh hire. I agree. I I agree. you, You know what I mean? And if you're looking for creativity on offense, I don't see how that's the guy. Um, he, he, he did not adjust well when NIL and Portal came into college football. And if you can't adjust to that, you can't be in college football. I mean, it's just as simple as that. That, that is taking over the sport, like it or not. It's just the way things are. You're, it's basically free agency for teenagers, and they're getting paid. Um, and you're going to have to deal with it and learn how to navigate it. And if you struggle with that, then, then you're in big trouble. I've heard that recruiting is not a strong suit. Some things you read. Um, you know, <clears throat> And listen, I'm not knocking Paul. That that was a plug and play program. Now you still got to get the players and you got to plug them in. But Barry Alvarez built a program where basically you really had to screw it up. And uh, Paul Chris for a number of years did a really good job. At the end, it was slipping a little bit. But you know his offense, I do not think works at Indiana. You don't you don't have a bunch of six six to 320 hundred twenty pound guys who could push a semi down the road. Okay, you're going to have to adjust your offense. You need to run a more spread-type offense, in my opinion, in Indiana. You can't run what you ran at Wisconsin. I just don't think it will work. I just don't think you're going to get the guys. unless, Again, unless you throw an obscene amount of money into the program and you can start going out and buying guys, which obviously is now legal, I think you've got to, you've got to adjust. Can he adjust? I don't know. I mean, obviously, being in Texas, they run a totally different thing than what he ran. Maybe he's learned some stuff but to me he's it's kind of a, like i said it's just kind of a is so so higher
1: Matt Weaver with us uh, Nil you just mentioned you know uh, Paul Christ you know you know embracing Nil and when Tom Allen was fired he had made comments obviously before the last at least year or so about Indiana adapting to a new landscape and you know I followed the Kentucky football team for a number of years Matt and that's a conversation they had two years ago it's also one reason why Mark Stoops wanted to go to Texas a and m is because obviously they have fully embraced, you know, paying players and going out and getting kids that way. How far behind do you think Indiana football is right now, as it pertains to name, image, and likeness?
4: Um, I think they've made progress, but they still they still have work to do. Um, you know, I don't know the exact number. I've heard figures of between three and four million for football. That's not bad, but it's not. I mean, listen. <clears throat> I remember Ryan Day was it last year or the year before said he would need what like twelve or thirteen million to put together a national championship type roster. I don't think you're going to get to that. I think you've got to get maybe to at least fifty to sixty percent of that if you want to be competitive. I mean, to me, for like I said before, you got to keep up with your peers. Their peers are Iowa, to an extent, Illinois, Purdue, Minnesota, Maryland, Rutgers. Those are the teams that they need to kind of stay at the same level as. You're not going to get to the Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State level, and I, and I don't think people expect that. I mean, if you do, you are got unrealistic expectations. But you need to get this NIL going better than what it is, and that's why getting the right coach, a guy that people can get excited about, and even if maybe they don't know him, because, let I me mean, let's be honest, there's IU fan base is not a huge fan base. They may not know a lot of these guys, but if you get him in front of boosters and he's got that personality and get them excited and they're going to start writing checks, that's a good thing. So that's why, to me, this hire is so, much, so important, not just from the on-field part, but everything that goes into it. Because anymore in coaching in college, the stuff on-field is, I mean, it's important, but there's so much more before that. that and I think that's where Tom Allen really struggled. Um, and it filtered down and, and obviously impacted the on-field results.
2: Again, Matt Weaver is with us here, Peaks.com. You can follow Matt on Twitter. That is at MB underscore weaver over there if you don't mind matt maybe just update us kind of the last 24 36 hours on the transfer portal for indiana uh welcome to college football i mean notre dame's had notable people enter the transfer portal in the last 36 hours uh but could you kind of update some of the names in the portal and, and if you think there is any urgency that adds to the length of time with this search based off that
4: yeah, I think there are around a dozen. Actually, one of the other guys on our site's kind of keeping track of that. But, I mean, some of the notable names, Don McCauley, a local kid who had a really good season this year at receiver. Brendan Sorsby, the quarterback, who took over about midway and played well down the stretch. To me, the biggest loss so far, and this is nothing – I mean, Don McCauley is a terrific player. Brendan Sorsby is, is a good quarterback and has a chance to be a good quarterback. Skill players have not always been a big problem for Indiana to find. It's the offensive lineman. Um mm-hmm. Carter Smith, their starting left tackle, redshirt freshman, started, I think, every game at left tackle this year and, and and really looks like he's got a chance to be a really good player. I mean, I know the staff thought he was an NFL-type guy if he continued on the, the track he was on. Those are the guys that's going to be hard for Indiana to replace. Um, I'm not saying you're going to go find a Don McCauley or, you know, a really good quarterback, but I think you have a much better chance of finding that guy than a starting left tackle or a starting defensive lineman. They've lost some D linemen. So, you know, those are the guys... That to me, you know, and, and hopefully you get a chance. I know in Carter Smith's uh, tweet about you know going on the portal, he said to keep my options open. I don't blame these guys. They don't know who their coach is. They don't know if the next coach is going to want them. They don't know if he's going. They're going to fit in his system. So I would, if it was my son, I'd say, hey, go in the portal, see what's out there, but give Indiana a chance and talk to him. Hopefully they do that, and the new coach, you know, can get can can if he wants them, can convince them that they're Indiana's still the right place. That's why you got to make the right hire, but there's got to be a sense of urgency. I think you got to try to have this done by the end of the week, so that like going into the weekend this guy can start talking to not only Indiana players, but when the portal opens, I think it's on the 4th next week, you can be, you know, ready to go and going after guys that, you know, you've heard or you know or that you see going to the portal to to fill the holes that are obviously exist on this roster.
1: Matt, that was going to be my follow up. So you think end of the week? Uh, you know, whether that be Friday or even into the weekend, Indiana football will have their next head coach.
4: If I had to, if I had to, if I was going to bet on it, I would. I, I mean, I won't be surprised if it goes longer, and maybe it will take more time. But I think, like I said, you don't want to rush it. This is like, like Kevin said, this is a very, very important decision. But at the same time, you have got to act with a sense of urgency. Obviously, you got to try to find your guy as soon as possible, you know, and get get him hired and get him in. And obviously let them get to work. So I think end of the week is possible. I, I You know, I think I would expect by Monday they have a coach. Um, you know, what day that falls on, we'll see. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's by the end of the week or, you know, this weekend.
2: Matt, last one, and again, great great stuff here. Appreciate uh, you joining us. We did see, uh, I think it announced today, Zach Osterman from the Star had it yesterday that Indiana is using a search firm for this hire. I know that brings up a lot of opinions <laughs> from people when you're talking about head coaching hires. Uh, any thoughts on Indiana, Scott Dolson Company, using a search firm?
4: I agree with it. it. From this standpoint, if you're using the search firm the way should, I would use it, and that is, Obviously, if you want to talk to a coach, that coach is going to be getting a little bit of hot water at his current school if you just reach out to him directly. I mean, he's probably going to say no because if he's got a good job, he's not going to jeopardize that. So, use a search firm to go back channel to maybe his representatives and say, "Hey, they're interested with your guy having the interest," and then you can proceed after that. So, I agree that if you're using it to help you find candidates, then what's the point of having an athletic director? Totally agree. So, but if you're using it in that way to kind of, you know. Do it in a way that you're not going to get the guy in trouble with his current employer. I think that's great. And to me, it's worth what is it? I mean, 40000 50000 If you get the right guy, forty, fifty thousand 50000 is a drop in the bucket. It's, it's changing the couch. So I think it's it's good if you're using it that way. If you're using it to help you find guys, then I'm not sure why you, you're the athletic director at that school.
2: Matt weaver mattweaverpeegs.com. It is a busy, busy time over there on Peegs, and Matt's got your coverage for you here as the head coaching search plays out. First, I guess, outside of the building, head coaching search in more than a decade for Indiana. Matt, terrific, man. I appreciate you uh, joining us here, and we'll definitely have to have you on after a hire is made. Okay, I appreciate it, guys. Have a great day.